You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to part two of The Parsnip Ship Presents Buried Roots by Michelle Tyreen Johnson, directed by Caesar Williams, with musical guest Marie Gabriel. To hear more episodes of The Parsnip Ship, subscribe to The Parsnip Ship wherever you listen to your podcasts. New plays, new music. This is how we hear theater. Stage is dark, as in the beginning of the play. These voices are off stage. I'm not giving you any money. I've never asked you for any, ever. Well, things are different now. Not when it comes to that. Why are you here? This is my home, and you are not invited. Where's the baby? I don't even know if it's a boy or a girl. You don't need to know anything about my baby. Just leave. Look, woman. No, you look, man. I didn't so much as put your name on the birth certificate. I don't know how you even found us, but I want you gone. You are corrupt, and you are a liar. Don't you dare talk me that way or... Or what? You'll do nothing. I'm already a black woman with a baby out of wedlock. There's nothing you can do to me. But if you don't want me walking up to that church with the baby in my arms, crying about how the father is... Enough! That's just what I was thinking. Enough. Go before I start screaming bloody murder murder right here and now, and you can explain why and where you got yourself arrested. This ain't done. For a change, it is. The sound of an angry slam door followed by the sound of a baby crying. Scene two. Jamie and Drake are having an intense standoff in the middle of their living room. Drake holds a glass of expensive brown liquor in an expensive glass tumbler. You couldn't have just given me a call and said, Honey, I have something to tell you. You would have had only have had three hours more notice than when I did tell you. Three hours is a long time. You know, Gilligan and the gang went on a three-hour tour that took a long, long time. A Gilligan's Island reference is not helpful here. Neither is that drink. 
Wait, is this starting already? Drinking in my own home is a problem? I'm just saying he'll be over here any minute, and I want to make a good impression. Since he already knows you, you must mean you want me to make a good impression. No, yes. Look, I'm just asking you to... You're asking me what, Jamie? To let a stranger into our home like he's another stray cat? And where did Mr. Wasabi get off to anyway? Because I thought owning a cat hit the limit of your maternal instincts. Jamie walks over and pours herself a drink of the same brown liquor Drake has. I thought you didn't want him to see us drinking. It wasn't us drinking I was worried about. Honestly, I don't know what I'm worried about. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, what I said. Why did you? You think I don't have any capacity for mothering? You've never wanted to before. How do you know what I wanted? We've had a five-minute conversation about it while dating. The early dates at that. You acted as if five minutes was all the subject warranted. I was in my 40s. I had a hysterectomy in my 30s. You already had almost adult children from your previous marriage. What more was I supposed to say? The truth? What untruth have I spoken? What truth have I held back? There is one thing I know about you that I've always known. And what is that? You are a brilliant scientist and academic and a gifted researcher and genealogist, not to mention, have, mention having that brain housed in that sexy package that I'm still madly in love with. Mm -mm, there better not be a but here. No buts, just an and. And you have the soul of a poet, a poet who wears a lot of armor. That I already knew. What I learned today is that you also have the heart of a mother. Sweetie, I couldn't let him drop out of school. Not when he's this close to finishing, and he's in this situation from a sudden tragedy. I know. I didn't see any other solution. If he has a place to stay, he doesn't need to drop out to work. Did you tell him this? That he's my nephew? Oh, God, no. With just losing his mother, I couldn't lay this on him, too. Why not? It's not your fault. Or your sister's fault. Your father was the dog. What do I keep telling you? He wasn't my father. He was just a genetic supplier. Sorry, genetic supplier. There's one more thing I need to get off my chest before he gets here. One more thing? You might want another drink. I thought you didn't want me holding a drink in my hand when he got here. I don't. Just thinking one more. Just tell me. I already knew that Theo was my nephew when he walked into the classroom. So you did lie to me? One lie every 13 years isn't such a bad track record. Besides, he's family. Once I knew he was in the same damn school where I taught, how could I not know him? How'd you do it? That was easier than you think. His new advisor is one of my book club members. I introduced her to her husband, so she owed me one solid, non-illegal favor. I just needed her to steer him toward my class, and she did. Your friend Clarissa. So she didn't think that was odd? I told her a version of the truth, that he was the son of an old friend, and I promised that I would look out for him in his, this predominantly white institution. When white people do that, you accuse us of milking our privilege. Honey... You are all the demographics that don't require you to milk anything. The cow practically rings the doorbell. <laughs> with Mama gone, I just... With Mama gone, I just wanted to meet one blood relative of mine. That's all. I guess I take it for granted that I got to be a parent. And I'm not saying I want to mother him. I just want him safe. And I want him to have a future he deserves. By my definition, that sounds like trying to be a good mother. Scene three, Theo alone in his old apartment. He has a backpack and two big duffel bags on the couch. He walks around touching things, picking them up, putting them back down. Finally, he picks up a photo in an eight by 10 frame of himself and Belinda. To the photo, he speaks. You tried. You tried to be a good mother. And in your own way, you were. I don't know if you'll see it, if you know, but I'll keep trying to be a son you could be proud of. Love you, Mama. Theo gently puts the photo in his backpack. At the door with his things, as he is about to leave, he looks with regret and sorrow at his living space, knowing this is another goodbye for him. Theo turns out the light. 
Scene four, Jamie in Drake's apartment where Jamie burns nervous energy and Drake calmly watches her straighten up. Why are you so nervous? This is the first time he's here. I, I want him to like the place. I'm sure he will. It's a nice place. You mean compared to where he comes from? That's not what I said. Look, this isn't the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We're not Aunt Viv and Uncle Phil taking in the hood kid from Philadelphia. <laughs> what? I was just thinking that but for my paler skin color and the fact that the condo isn't as upscale, there are a lot of similarities. Are you trying to distract me? Is it working? No. I think this is a terrible time to take Theo on. Homeland Security is clearly onto the fact that you improperly used that database. What I did was harmless. A generation ago or two, this would have been harmless. But with changed laws, constantly evolving threats to our security... I really should take up guitar lessons so I can create a musical accompaniment to this? Make jokes if you want to. I'm serious. Again. I didn't confess anything to my boss. Good. Keep it that way. A lawyer advising me to lie? A lawyer advising you to not incriminate yourself. A husband advising you to lie. <laughs> You've got to promise me something. What? You're supposed to say, I'll promise you anything, my love. Uh-huh. What? If something happens to me, you've got to promise that you will still take care of Theo. Honey, I... Promise. Nothing is going to happen to you. Promise me. Okay, okay. But I need a promise from you. What? My friend Randall covers this general area of law. Promise me you'll talk to him Monday. Promise. Done. Feels like we've just renewed our wedding vows. <laughs> Until criminal prosecution and resurfaced buried roots do us part. You may kiss the bride. Drake gently kisses Jamie and holds her in a protective embrace before letting go of her. So the guest bedroom is Theo's now. Should I hang up Jayhawk pennants and put a few chief bobbleheads on the bureau? <laughs> Don't be a smart ass. The doorbell rings. Jamie freezes. Drake heads for the door before Jamie stops him. Wait, let me get it. Jamie squares her shoulders and opens the door to a nervous Theo wearing a backpack and carrying two duffel bags. Come in, Theo. This is my husband, Drake. Drake, this is Theo. Surprised that Drake is white, but quickly hiding it. Nice to meet you, Mr. McBride. Actually, it's Drake Winston, but you just call me Drake. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. My wife thinks very highly of you. Thanks, Drake, and thanks again, Professor. You are no longer my student, so it's okay to call me Jamie. I promise I won't take it as a sign of disrespect. Okay. Jamie, man, that's going to take some getting used to. That will be the largest change you will have to master. I'll work on making that true. This is a nice place. Like, really nice. I've lived here so long, I forgot what it looks like through someone else's eyes. Each of us had our own houses when we got together, but mm. when we got married, we thought we owed ourselves a fresh start. I'm sorry, was that insensitive of me to say? I'm just babbling. That's what I do when I'm nervous. Nervous? Look, if you change your mind about me being here, I no, can... No, I, I don't mean nervous for that reason. I, I want you to be here. We want you to be here. Absolutely. Look, Theo, if we're being honest here, when Jamie told me about inviting you to stay here, I'd be lying if I said that I was... that I welcomed the idea with open arms, but when you walked through the door just now, well, my nerves went away. Seriously, man. Just think of this as your home for as long as you want. It's not just my wife who's happy to have you here. I don't know what to say. Good. We don't need three adults in this home who always have something to say. He is right about that. See what I mean? I'm sure you want to settle in your room. It's the third door on the right, and the second door on the right is your own bathroom. There's a connecting door. Both of you are being so... Well, you're doing me a solid, and I really appreciate it. I don't know Stop. Theo? Other than the basic tenets of cleanliness, civility, and respect, we only have one real rule in this household. We don't do trite. So if that sentence was about to end with, how I'll ever repay you, then please don't. That would be breaking the house rule. Ah, uh, hold up. You forgot the other house rule. No cheering for wildcats or tigers. Only Jayhawks. <laughs> Forgive my husband. He went to KU undergrad and law school. But I would keep cheering for K-State and MU on the low if I were you. Theo visibly relaxes for the first time in the scene. Jayhawks all the way. Got it. Not being too corny. Got that too. We're going out for dinner in an hour. I should have also warned you that if you're expecting home-cooked meals, that is not a staple in this loft. 
Drake has on occasion been known to cook pancakes and bacon on a Sunday morning, but that's less regular than a blue moon. Thanks. I'll be back out in an hour. Theo exits. I like him. You're surprised? A little. So you're still okay with this? Didn't you just tell the kid that we don't do trite in this house? Yes, I'm more than okay. Scene five. A month later, Theo and Drake sit on a couch. Drake holds the remote. Theo marks up a textbook. So not okay with the game of pigskin, eh? No. My mother was. Especially once my cousin Dewey started playing for the Cowboys. I prefer basketball. Just like you're... Just like Jamie, as soon as football game comes on, she suddenly has some errand to run or a friend to meet for lunch. Today it sounds like she headed out for both. That's because there's two games today that she knows I want to watch. Do you mind me asking you something? Well, of course not. Sounds serious. Shoot. Jamie has seemed, I don't know how to say it, off lately. Are you sure me staying here ain't a problem? I don't know why I don't think of it before, but my cousin would probably let me crash with him and his people in Dallas for a minute. She has a work problem to untangle. The politics of academia and all, and you truly aren't an imposition at all. Jamie would be very upset if you left here before you finished out the semester, and frankly, I'd be a little disappointed too. I've grown used to having another guy around. I noticed that your sons haven't been around since I moved in. Sorry, shouldn't have said anything. No, no, no. My sons have always been close, a couple years apart, but more like twins. That's nice. I, I guess. I'm an only child. Used to wonder what it would be like to have an older brother or a baby sister. With my boys, where one goes, the other has always followed, even still. So when I don't like where one's head's at, that means that they're both a disappointment. What does that have to do with them not coming around? They got something against the view of the downtown skyline? You are definitely fitting in around here. Witty, smart-ass repartee. That's a compliment indeed. <laughs> Jamie probably would not be happy with me telling you this. You don't need to. But I will. You're living here and, well, in this home, your family. Family? I'm really embarrassed because I don't know where he got this, but my oldest son, DJ, has never been happy that I married Jamie. Wow, she's great. And she's African-American. Oh, and actually, Jamie would smack me on the head for saying African-American because, as she reminds me... Not all uh, blacks come from Africa. Yeah. You learned well from her in class. Anyway, DJ hasn't liked it. We've had a few rows over it. Wow. That's not what I expected. I mean, I know I should never be surprised, but... I don't get it either. He was friends with black kids and kids from other backgrounds growing up, so it's not like... I ever had any reason to detect that he was a, that he... That he was that. a racist? Look, there's a few white boys back where I lived, where I live, and I learned... Where you live, where you lived. It's okay to consider this your home. Thanks. Anyway, I've learned the hard way. Folks cool until y'all both want the same thing. Then suddenly they act all shitty. I mean, salty and superior on you. That makes sense. A lot of sense, actually. I had never thought of it quite that way before. Did you and Jamie know each other before you split from their moms? No, but it wasn't long after the divorce that I met Jamie. And even though no one looking at us might have put us together, I immediately felt a connection and happiness with her that my sons never saw me have with their mother. I'm sorry. Not for you and Jamie, but for you and your sons. We come together as a family every now and then, but, well, let's just... Let's just say coming over here has never been a family tradition. Man, I'm sorry to hear that. Really, you a cool dude, and Jamie don't deserve that. She doesn't for sure. I know I can't, but I wish there was something I could do. You're actually already doing it. I am? Just by being here, as I said, in this home. Your family. She needs that. That's why you're so important to her. Jamie is important to me, too. Real important. Scene six. Jamie is alone in her classroom pacing. Drake enters. Jamie stops pacing, and from the looks on her face, Drake just takes Jamie in his arms. Honey, what's so important? You sounded so upset on the phone. I ended the meeting as Homeland I... found out that I used the database improperly and are threatening to prosecute under the recent bill that just passed. The one that makes the Patriot Act look like nursery rhymes? Oh my God. 
You know I warned you about this, but I didn't and think And the would... school is threatening to revoke my tenure if that happens. They can't do that. Unfortunately, there's a clause in my tenure agreement that says they can. Did you talk to Randall? Right before I called you. I just didn't want to talk about this at home and risk Theo coming home. And I was too humiliated to come to your office. I'm scared. What did Randall say? That I could do two years prison time. That's insane! That's why I'm scared. Randall says they are very serious about pursuing this. Wanting to make me an example. Oh, this pisses me off so much. White guys still bend these kind of laws for profit all the time. No one wants to make an example out of them. You better watch it, Drake. You're sounding like the wrong side of the swirl. Stop trying to joke to calm me down. You know I'm right. Sweetie, I know you're right. You know you're right. But it is what it is. So I want you to remember the promise you made me to look out for Theo. I know two years isn't that long a time, and he's a grown man, but... The trite rule extends to our workplaces, too. Of course I'll look out for him. But you should tell him about this. I can't. You can. And you need to also tell him that you're his aunt, too. Tell him everything. Are you crazy? His mother just died a few months ago. You said it yourself. He's a grown man. What good does telling him all this truth do? What good does withholding it do for him? You at least have to tell him about the possible prison sentence. There's a chance we can get around this, and he'll never even have to know to worry. I'd love for that to be the reality, but Randall is the regional expert on this kind of government crime. If he's talking two years, this is a real possibility. Jamie sits in her seat in stunned defeat. If there's anything I need to tell him, it's that he's my nephew. And, well, I need to at least tell him that. When will you know something? Next week, there's a closed hearing. Next week? That seems like a million years from now. Scene seven, the living room of Jamie and Drake. Theo sits alone on the couch. Jamie enters the apartment. Hello there. I know you have a million things going on. Was hoping you'd be around. Here I am. Are you busy? Studying. Don't you have a test coming up? Yep. Are you worried about Not it? Not really. I see we're mighty chatty today. You're not my mother. Not that she would be asking me about a test anyway. I know. I'm not sure where this is coming from, just asking. About my studying, my clothes, worrying about what I do or where I go when I go out. I'm, I'm sorry, could you just tell me what I've done to upset you? Nothing, nothing. I upset you and we're not going to blow this off, just Tell me what I did, and I'll just listen. Today is my mama's birthday. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. The firsts after losing someone are always the most painful. Whatever it is that you need me to do or, or not do today, just tell me. I'll tell Drake, too. Because it was my mama's birthday, I took the photo of us that was in our crib and took it out of the frame and put it in the much nicer frame I bought. What a beautiful idea. <laughs> when I took the photo out, I found a letter taped to the back. A letter? To me. It wasn't that long ago she wrote it, just a fluke, I found it. What did it say? Never mind, forget I asked. Theo pulls out a letter and hands it to Jamie. Read it. I can't. Read it. Are you sure? Please. As we see Jamie start to read the letter, the scene shifts to the apartment of Belinda and Theo. We see Belinda finishing up writing a letter on a torn out notebook paper, signing it, and then she reads the entire letter out loud. Dear Theo, it's your mama here. You know I'm not much of a writer, never have been. Didn't have a head for books and such like you. Maybe you take after your daddy that way. I wouldn't know. I'm writing this because there's some things I think you need to know, now more than ever. And I don't really have the guts to tell you to your face. Maybe one day, even though you're a man now, I don't tell you much. Okay, I've never told you how proud I am of you. You've always been so good in school, so smart, just an easy child. I should have told you this, but I didn't. Because I've never been Book smart, I never knew how to help you, how to encourage you. I wish I did know. I wish I was smarter and had more schooling. But now you have someone in your life who can help you, who can be there for you in a way I can't. 
Look, this story is complicated. Shit, life is complicated. Remember I told you about my daddy, Jebediah Solomon Corker? I looked up to him so much. He was the minister of our church. Tall, fierce, good-looking, with a voice like thunder. I thought he could do no wrong. No one did. And I was the biggest daddy's girl until the day I was 16 years old and I found out that daddy had another girl my age and living on the other side of the town. I ain't going to bore you with exactly how I found out. I'm just going to tell you that he was a dog. He had a woman in every corner of the county. Mabel McBride was just the only one he had a baby with. And you had, and you know the worst part? Mabel's people had money. Us, all we had was a little bit of what my daddy collected from the collection plate every Sunday and the extra money my mama made on the side from cooking for white folks down at the marketing company. I'm writing this the morning before I go to see Mabel's daughter, my daddy's daughter. Scene shifts back to Theo and Jamie. There's more. Oh my God. Yep. She knew all this time. And you didn't? All I knew when I walked into your class, all I thought I knew was that a white professor named Jamie McBride taught the class. I assumed you'd be another white man. I also didn't think that it was going to be a black lady and that the black lady would, would be my... Be your aunt. How do you feel about it? How long did you know? Before you walked into my classroom, but not long before. And Drake knows. Yes. Who else? I'm not supposed to know. And I don't keep secrets from Drake, so it's just us. Why didn't you tell me? There's never been a good time. How about the day you knew? Or the day I walked in your classroom? Or the next day? How about before you let me be a charity case living under your roof? You are not a charity case. You have any other former student live here? No. Why me then? Because even if you never found out, you're my nephew and I- You what? You reminded me a little of me. I was never going to see that in another human being and I wanted, I wanted us to be close. But I didn't want you, I didn't want to upend your world, especially after your mother died. Did you ever stop to think I needed you? That I needed family? I haven't been around my uncle and his family since I was a kid. I have one cousin I only see if I'm at the house of one of my boys and they watching the Chiefs play the Cowboys. When mama died, I was all alone. Scene shifts back to Belinda reading the letter. I guess you can figure out that that teacher lady of yours is your auntie. Honestly, it's easier to think of her that way than as my sister. If I think of her that way, then I don't have to think of who my daddy really was. And I didn't want to do that. Still don't. He was the man who bought me candy in the winter and took me to Dairy Queen for a double dip cone in the summer. He was the one that braided my hair so pretty and perfect when mama was at work. He's the one I let name my baby when you came into this world. He's the one I cried so hard over the day we buried him. My brother had to make me take one of his pills to knock me out. I'm hoping that I'm going to have the gumption to tell you this myself, but if I don't get the nerve, I'm going to leave you this letter. One you may find after I'm gone, but when you have babies of your own, I love you, baby. P.S. One last little thing. I went to go see your teacher lady, your auntie. I didn't like her, but she's the kind of woman you need to have in your life. She's smart and she's got some spirit. She's got some ambition about her, and she's your blood. I hope that I don't regret not having told you to your face that you don't graduate without knowing, without her knowing, and then you end up losing each other. Or I hope she's smart enough to figure it out. If I ain't around no more and she be something to you, as I'm writing this, it comes to me that it ain't fair to say 
I don't like her. I just don't want to like her. No, I was right the first time. I don't like her ass. <laughs> Love your mama. Your blood. I didn't think you and your mother, my sister, had much in common. But it goes without saying I underestimated her. And for that, I will forever remain deeply ashamed. I gotta get out of here. Theo. Theo grabs the letter, his backpack, and a jacket, and leaves quickly out the door. Scene eight. After a knocking, Theo enters his old apartment. It's empty now, and he walks around. He is sipping from a can of beer, the same brand his mother drank. Get out of here. Can't believe that cheap-ass landlord didn't even change the lock. And Glory was right, no one's still living in here yet. Hey, Mama. I know it's silly talking to you like you in here, in this empty apartment. I guess I should go out to the graveyard, but I can't. I can't think of you being there. But here, even though the place is empty, it's like any minute you're going to walk in in that damn family doll uniform <laughs> and tell me to go grab you a beer. Well, here it is. Salut. I read your letter. I just wanted you to know that. And I'm fine, really. I don't know what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go, but I know everything. Just wanted you to know that I don't care about any of it. Not Jamie, not your daddy, not my daddy, none of it. I just care about the one thing you told me, that you were proud of me. I wish I could have heard you say it to me. Scene nine, living room of Jamie and Drake, a sign that said congrats hangs. Two extensively wrapped gifts sit on the table. The door opens. Jamie and Drake walk in wearing nice but professional looking outfits, something that can be worn to a hearing or a graduation. Theo walks in behind wearing his graduation gown, carrying his backpack and graduation cap. I finally get to say it to you. I am so proud of you for graduating. Who would have thought? Your final hearing and my graduation will be on the same day. But thank God they were at different times so the three of us could go to both. We could thank God or we can thank our former intern who is Judge Peterson's clerk mm. and the girlfriend of the clerk to the judge presiding over the case. Thank her for asking him to move the case to the judge's afternoon docket. A double thank you. But enough of that. I bought you two each huge gifts in honor of your big days. I need you to open them now so I can get the ice cream cake out of the freezer. He always buys his favorite desserts for my big occasions. Hey, <laughs> only the favorites I know you'd like to. How about this, honey? You go to the kitchen and get the cake out. We'll open your gifts as soon as we're done. Just need a few minutes alone to give Theo my gift to him. Ah, that's right. So much going on today. I will patiently wait to cut into the cake. Drake exits to the kitchen, but stops before leaving. But hurry up so that the cake doesn't melt. We do not need Mr. Wasabi trying to lap it up. Honey, keep an eye on the cake and the cat. We'll be right in. Love you, baby. Love you. Love you both. Drake exits to kitchen. Jamie, I can't even take another thing from you, really. I wouldn't have been able to graduate today if it wasn't for you. I'm a college graduate. <laughs> I can't believe it. Even my cousin Dewey sent me a card with a little cash in it. Mama might have been proud of that. You read her letter. She was proud of you already. I know. And I know it was hard for you to not have her there today. I don't know if she would have been able to come to the graduation. It would have been in the middle of her shift. So. She would have been there. But I want to give you this gift now and hope it's something you still want. A soft briefcase to replace my backpack? No. Wait, is that what you wanted? Damn. Well, no. My present is this. Jamie hands Theo a piece of paper, which he quickly reads. What's this? My last illegal act before cutting a deal of probation with the feds. Also known as your father's name, physical address, email address, telephone number, workplace, and the names and pertinent information about your two siblings, an older brother and younger sister. You didn't get this from any DNA base. I got enough. I got the rest from a private investigator I hired. I wanted you to have all the choices, either for now or later in life. He lives in St. Louis. Yep. If I hadn't skipped out on that internship you got me, I might have met him. Maybe. You didn't skip out on anything. You 
lost your mother? I don't know how to... Drake, honey, Theo's in here about to break a house rule. I think he should forfeit the soft leather briefcase to replace his backpack that you got him, all wrapped up pretty in this box. Scene nine. The whole stage is dark as we hear voices. Oh, look at you, wrapped all pretty, all pretty and warm. Oh, little girl, I love you so hard. Sound of a baby's happy laughter. I love you so hard. I hope you grow up from being my pretty baby to a pretty young woman. And even more importantly, I hope you grow up smart. Smart and focused and classy. But never forget how important family is. How no matter what, you look out for family. Always, baby girl. Always. End of play. So before we get started on our interview, I just want to give another round of applause to our wonderful cast tonight. How are you feeling? Great. They, they, they did a beautiful job. Yay. How, do you, uh, how, how did it feel listening to it and just sitting and hearing it with this audience? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of playwrights in the house. You know how it goes. It's true. <laughs> There are, there are playwrights in the house. There are a lot of Parsons playwrights in the house, which is really right, exciting. Yeah. Um, so what was your inspiration behind writing Buried Roots? Um, it's a complicated explanation and a very personal one, but mm -hmm. I can reduce it to um, a friend of mine who's really into genealogy wanted to do my genealogy. And one of the things I explained to her is that um, with my family dynamics, there was a whole half of my life that I didn't want to go near. And then because of slavery, there's only so far up it was going to go. So it's like, I basically said, she's, she's, she's a white woman who, has, who comes from England and she can like literally 
I think, I mean, she had some absurd number of generations she could go back. Like, I don't even know if I want to know about 19, you know, steps up, but, (laughs) you know, but it is, it was, it was, and she found that out quickly and she was like, oh, this is complicated. So like, you know, most writers, I envisioned a story from my own questions. Yeah. And then in earlier, um, when I asked you what the world would be missing if it didn't have this play, you talked about or you touched upon um, tracing roots uh, upwards, like you've Mm. just mentioned, but also sideways. Right, right. And so, like, what does that mean to you, roots sideways? Well, tracing your roots. I mean, you know, for like, I, for most of you who are sitting here who come from a more traditional situation where your mother and your father were married and they had you, then, you know, it's a very clear sort of dynamic of Mm -hmm. how you got here. But for other people, um, either because of adoption, either because of um, stuff that happens, there may be this missing piece that's 50% of who you are. Right. And so... um, Sort of like I say in the play, even though even if you can find out, do you really want to find out? Because biology is not necessarily parenting. Right. And parenting doesn't have anything to do with biology sometimes. True, true, true. And um, one thing that is kind is touched upon or is within the context of the world in which uh you've created in this piece, so we're in 2030, so about 10, 11 years from now, what has happened in in the future when it comes to security and access, so much so that Jamie, like what Jamie has done is such a a no-no that her husband is really, really honing on of like what she did was not good and she may have to face some consequences for it. Well, I can just remember, listening to an NPR story. Shout out to NPR. Hey. Hey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And the story about how, uh, how this one agency was tracing um, a criminal's background. Like Mm -hmm. basically they had his blood through some innocent means and used that to figure out that he did a crime. And there's, and there's been a couple of like cases of that. And, and I, both from what the story said and then me sort of taking it past that. It's like, oh, they're not going to be able to do this in a few years. In a few years, at some point, you know, the first rich white man who has his DNA in the database, <laughs> they're going to shut that down. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> it's long. It's, it's, so, you know, I just thought there's going to come a time when these, these laws are going to change this because as technology improves, it's going to be just too easy mm-hmm. to basically. So the good the good thing about that is technology can help uncover crimes because of DNA. Right. The bad news is is that a lot of people's uh, privacy may be violated. This is yeah for that for that purpose. Yeah, it's like it's like when you watch SVU. As I always or do. criminal minds, and As you're I like, yes, do. there's yes, DNA. Exactly. But then if like if it were my issue, like if I like killed somebody, right? I'd be like, damn, right. no. You don't want that. Fuck, want I that. just shot myself you in the foot. You don't want that. You don't want that. And if somebody, <laughs> exactly, and if somebody, I mean, and the other thing, I mean, if you, if you, you know, I had a lot of TV references in the in the play because I'm all about TV, um, but I particularly like my old TV shows, mm-hmm. and so I'm embarrassed to say, like, one of my old, my favorite old TV shows is Columbo, <laughs> and you watch. I've Col- never heard of Columbo. <sighs> That's no shade. No, but I never heard of Columbo. Like, but when was that? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna do my my Lizzo imitation. Ooh, child. But anyway, you know Lizzo, see? anyway. So, <laughs> because I'm a complicated woman with lots of worlds, so Columbo was a um, a really famous TV show that you've never heard of, young one, um, from the '70s. Is that right? '70s, '70s, and so it, the big thing with Columbo was that he would always detect by figuring out some little thing and and unraveling that thread through a lot of questions and like his catch line was one more thing 
have one more thing to ask you. And so you watch mm-hmm. a Columbo episode now, and you're like, that would be a five-minute episode because, you know, <laughs> I mean, so-and-so cut his hand while he was murdering so-and-so, boom to chicky, you know, DNA, right? Oh, was it like, oh, then he he would look for, like, the cut on the hand you and know, be like, No, right, Aha. exactly. So, okay. so, you know, so... Just looking at how tech, how technology True. has changed things in my youthful lifetime. <laughs> emphasis uh, on the youthful, right? Emphasis <laughs> on the youthful is I can only imagine at the rate at which technology changes that things that would take twenty years to close up as a gap will probably take two three, four, five years. Yeah. And then, you know, who doesn't like a reality where Trump isn't president anymore, right? I mean, yeah. that was just, oh, I'm sorry. I work for an NPR affiliate. I'm not supposed to have political commentary. So that's part of it, too. I mean, you know, it's not so much getting hung up on that it takes place in the future, right. but, but just that whole concept of what DNA means and how it can be used, how it can be used for harm, but how it can be used for good, yeah. such as in this case. Yeah, it's a very thin line. Um, one thing that you mentioned um, that, that Jamie mentions in the play um, to Theo is his need to represent because they're the only two black people Mm. in her classroom. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think people need to represent if it's just that if they are the first or uh, if they are the only within a group? You know, as I've gotten older, my feelings on that have changed Mm. as I, you know, as a younger professional, um, I was, definitely more in line with the concept of I have to always represent my people, mm-hmm. always have to represent. The older I get, because we can cuss on this, right? Oh, That's yeah, 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 the yeah, older I, I the, the older I get, I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's about just representing your authenticity as a person because it's, it's the... It's y'all can talk you. about it. It's totally yeah, fine. please, yeah, it's totally thank fine. you. <laughs> because because if we want to get down to the bigotry of it, the only people who are ever expected to represent are people who are um, in marginalized groups. You For know, sure, there's yeah. no white person I know except maybe on my Facebook page, who feels like they have to represent for all white people. Yes. What yes, about on Hunty. the official playwrights of Facebook? And then, and then, and then, and then, and then <laughs> that's, some of those folks just represent ignorance, you know. But so, so really, I think like in that scene, I also was trying to um, touch on the fact that when you are a, I mean, I'm just going to say black people, this applies to all kinds of, you know, POC folks, LGBTQ folks, but, you know, for those of you on the radio who can't see, I'm black. (laughs) Um, I know, right? Y'all can see me, but the people on the radio can't, or the podcast can't see. And there is a connection when you and someone else are the onlys in a room full Mm -hmm. of people who are not what you are. And that, I mean, I've been a speaker as a diversity speaker where literally there's been a room full of white people. I'm speaking on diversity and there's one person of color, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I used to be an attorney. I've walked into courtrooms, walked into hearings, walked into depositions where the only person might be me and the court reporter, you know, if that, you know, I'm now, yeah. you know, in radio journalism again. There are times in my newsroom where I'm the only black person. Yeah. Um, and so there is a connection you have when you're one of few and you can tell there's that other person. I mean, the thing yeah. with race is it's visible. You know, that's why I really I really feel for my, for my LGBTQ brothers and sisters because they don't always know when they walk into a room who's who and what's up. Right. And um, there is just, there's something to that. And what's funny about it is that, um, you know, a lot of white folks get sensitive when I mention that and go, well, I don't notice color. I mean, I just had a conversation at uh, intermission about that. But I always say, if you don't notice the difference, regardless of what that difference is, that means that everybody in the room is you. Because every white person who's ever said to me, well, I don't really notice that, when they go to the black wedding, the Latino um, birthday party, mm-hmm. the Jewish funeral, you know, whatever, where they're the only, 
Monday morning, I got to hear all about it. Oh, my God. I was there only for a whole hour. I understand what it's like for you now, Michelle. You know? So, <laughs> I have heard that. Anyway, you can cut. You can feel free to cut that if you get short on time. But, but... <laughs> But, you know, the play itself, the play itself is about family, but family sometimes is bigger than your biology. Yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons why I had her husband, Drake, be white, because, you know, the whole play was about what the choices you make in family, in addition to the choices that get dumped on you. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you know, like I said, in the play, we all get here two by two. I mean, no matter, we all, it's funny, we all leave by ourselves, even if you die in a tragedy, you die by yourself in the sense that you can't take anybody with you, right? Mm -hmm. But you come into the world because two people created you. And, you know, we're all here, every single one oh, of well, us. Well, technology, now three sometimes. And even then, no. <laughs> even then, it's still, you know, biologically, it's two people. I mean, there may be a, a female uterus that is the carrier, but it's still a male, you know what I mean? It's oh, no, I mean like gene splicing. Like you know, we, I mean, we can't go there. Yeah, we can't go there. Like, Don't be missing my play now, oh, okay? Sorry. Two by two. Two by two. Okay, we're doing two by two. Two by two. Two, two by two. two. Great. Two by two. You Great. know? <laughs> girls, plays. But no, I mean, but 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 seriously, and how you get in the world and then the choices you make about family, when mm -hmm. you get here is something, um, you know, and I'm a single woman who's an only child who didn't have kids. And so biology means something very different to me than it does um, to my friends. Family means something very different to me than it does to my friends. And yet, like when I would visit my grandmother in the nursing home before she passed away, um, I used to, before my grandmother got sick with Alzheimer's, I used to think that the worst thing was dying alone. And visiting her in the new in the in the in the nursing home made me realize no, what's worse is having family, and you're dying alone. Mm. You know, mm. my grandmother. It was just me and my mother, but you know, the two of us, you know, always visited, and we visited at odd times. And deep down, I like to think till the end, you know, she knew her family was there. But then I would look, and I would see there are people who would have a bunch of kids who never had their kids visit them. And so, I mean, that's, so that's what family is to me. It's about choices yeah. as well as, you know, yeah, what you get. Yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, <laughs> it's beautiful. And anybody, and anybody who knows me well goes, okay, Michelle's about to cry <laughs> because, you know, family gets to all of us, you know, no matter how strong or tough you are. How you conceive a family is deep. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you for that. Are you ready for a lighter question? Yes! You want to turn her around? Uh-oh. Okay. Okay. This one is fun. This one is fun. Okay. So. Turn around, okay. A hundred years from now, from now, how do you envision, where, where do you see women? The why future got, of women. For that? What got me on that is that I was reminded that um, that a hundred years ago, white women were given the right to yes, vote. Yes, it'd be 1920. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And so or 2020, that'll be hundred years. Right, now. so like, so now looking a hundred years from now, so you where do you way. see, oh. yeah, 2000, I don't know math, 2,190. <laughs> <laughs> 2120. I was like, carry the one. 2120. Yes. Well, you know, one of the one of the reasons why you know we again the few of us kind of got into this conversation during the intermission about social media, and and how certain people just like they've gotten off of it because it's too disruptive, you know, it's too upsetting. And I myself love social media even at its worst because I say it's the height of privilege to say, well, I don't like to be bothered or disturbed, and I look at social media as the great equalizer. Mm -hmm. And so as the great equalizer, we get to have a faster speed at which people disrupt the narrative. Mm -hmm. We have a quicker speed at which disenfranchised groups and the, the intersectionality of different groups, mm -hmm. we get to have a way high. So the things that took 100 years to get 
you know, before, like say the white one, white women, because let's be clear, it's the white women who get to celebrate a hundred years of getting the right to vote right. next year. Right. I would repeat that, but I don't want you to have to cut that out too. Um, I make that very clear when we, we talk about right. that question. But, no. but, but I don't think that it will take a hundred years for people, another hundred years, because already I see just, just how things have changed rapidly in the last few years. And it's because people can communicate better now. They can communicate more, more differently. I can, I mean, my followers on Twitter, you know, would not follow me out to the bathroom, but there are people who, if they tweet something, it can have the kind of resonance where it's a movement. Mm -hmm. It's a movement. So I think a hundred years from now, as we already are kind of seeing women and subsets of women aren't just going to take the bullshit. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that there's bullshit that people are dealing with today that they're going to deal with five. I mean, think of the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it's all the issues that ever come up have always been there. We just have a greater velocity in being able to talk about them now and being able to fight about it now. And I personally think fighting is a good thing. I mean, I know that goes against the 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 norm of some people, but I think that there's something to being able to say, no, you fucked up, and I'm letting you know how and why. And that's why I think that the future is female, because females aren't just going to keep taking the same old stuff. I know as a black female, I'm not taking the same old stuff in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. So... You know, my 55th birthday is next month, so hey. happy birthday to me. And, and, I know, and I know at almost 55, there are things that I don't tolerate that I tolerated at 35 because at 35, I had no voice. I had no ability to speak and have people listen. And so I look at somebody who has a little girl now, and do you think that, 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 that they are going to have the same sort of um, duct tape over their mouth. Because if we got Twitter and Facebook and Instagram now, I, I assume that in a hundred years, it's just, gonna like it's just gonna go directly through, in your yeah. brain, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that the future is female because technology for all of its bad things, technology is going to unite us. Sure, it can destroy us, mm -hmm. but but we have agency and choice and the ability to use it for good and not evil. I like that. Very succinct. <laughs> um, and last two questions. This one has to be quick because okay. we are running out of time. Okay. 60 seconds. Trump were in this room. What would you say to him? I would say to Trump, if I only had 60 seconds, um, I really need you to stop making everything all about you. I need you to, to look at the humanity of what you do, not even individual decisions, but that your job, your position isn't just about look at me and my ego, that you are the person in this country who the very soul of our existence is in your hands. Boom, drop the mic. I mean, it would, it would do nothing. I mean, it would do nothing. I mean, let's but just be nice clear. To try I mean, he to might, try. I mean, he would have to have somebody explain to him what I said, but you know. <laughs> it is what it is. And last question, really easy. What'd you have for breakfast this morning? I didn't have breakfast, but what I had was I decided that what I wanted, because I've become a new fan of Korean food, mm -hmm. I found, I got over in this part of Brooklyn early enough to go get bimbibop for an early lunch. Oh, nice. Was it good? It was delicious. Excellent. Yes. I love that. So a Kansan had kimchi in Brooklyn and, and Brooklyn bimbibop. <laughs> 
Uh, well, we're going to wrap up, but thank you for that interview, Michelle. Oh, thank you. Do me a favor, cut the stupid stuff out. Oh, none of it is stupid. It was great. It was great. Um, so I wanted to say some thank yous. Uh, thank you to the Mark O'Donnell Theater at the Actors Fund Arts Center for hosting us again tonight. I want to thank our wonderful, dope, amazing cast, which included Jay Mazak, Grant Mackin, Malika Millette, Sarita Covington, Daryl Lauren, and Caesar Williams. <laughs> you got me tough on that combo. Um, our musician tonight is Marie Gabriel. This episode was directed by Caesar Williams. And this play was written, of course, by Michelle Tyreen Johnson. Thank you to Fernando Castillo, our audio engineer. And Luke DeCola, our editor. Thank you to our TPS team and Business Lunch Productions. BLP is a leading creative agency based in New York City, working with creatives all over the world. And thanks, as always, to the Mark O'Donnell Theater for having us in their space tonight. The Mark O'Donnell Theater at the Actors Fund Art Center is a state-of-the-art black box performance venue and rehearsal space located at the lobby level of the Skimmerhorn in downtown Brooklyn. It's a program of the Actors Fund whose mission is to foster stability and resiliency and provide a safety net for performing arts and entertainment professionals over their lifespan. For more information on the Actors Fund and how they help people all around the country, visit actorsfund.org. And before we uh, close out our last song from Marie tonight, I just want to say thank you all for being here in this space and for listening to The Parsnipship. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, at The Parsnipship NY. And um, I just want to give a special thank you to everyone who donated to our very first TPS fundraiser. Um, we matched my $1,000 um, donation, and with your help, we raised another $1,000 for $2,000 for complete support of our season. Um, please come continue to lend your support in keeping our program free and accessible um, by donating online on, and on Venmo. Tell people about it. And you can listen to our first four seasons of The Parsnipship on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, um, and Google Play. Our season four finale, A Shiro's Journey, or What Ana Koana and Yamaya Taught Me by Guadalice Del Carmen is available now. And our season five premiere, The Flora and Fauna by Allison Mead, will be available next week. Oh, this week. Yay. Um, join us for our next live recording on Monday, November 25th, for Abraham's Daughters by a Emma Goldman Sherman, directed by Dahlia Asherina. This episode was produced by The Parsnipship and Business Lunch Productions. The Parsnipship is a fiscally sponsored project of Brooklyn Arts Council. New plays, new music. This is how we hear theater. Take it away, Marie. But goody, feel free to sing along.
shall be released We understand someone in this lonely crowd Someone who swears she's not to blame All day long I hear her shouting so loud She's crying out that she was afraid See my light come shining from the west down to the east. Any day now, any way now, I shall be released. I see my light come shining. From the west down to the east Any day now Any way now We shall be released Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 